James chapter 1. And I'll start reading with verse 16. It says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, uh, a current myth that abounds today is that uh, salvation is based on a personal decision for Christ and that such a decision may or may not result in a changed life. And I want to present to you today that I believe that's a myth. Um, in, in that way of thinking, as an example, uh, a child from a Christian home may make a decision uh, maybe they go to summer camp and they, they invite Jesus into their heart, uh, which is great. Um, maybe they go forward at the closing song at the end of the meeting, and then um, after that they get some follow-up, and someone gives them a Bible, which is great, and they're told, read that Bible every day. And they attend church every Sunday because that's what their family does. But imagine as the child gets older, he finds church to be a little bit boring, and perhaps maybe kind of irrelevant. And he prefers having fun with his worldly friends as opposed to hanging out with the church crowd, and his friends are more than eager to invite him into worldly pastimes. And so uh, slowly he moves away from church, drops out, and no longer reads his Bible, and has no desire to follow God in a deeper way. And his parents are worried about that, but they say, well, you know, he made a decision for Christ at at church camp way back then. So the important question in a situation like that is, is there any evidence of a changed heart or is there any evidence of a new life in Christ? We see in James 1.18 that salvation is a matter of God imparting new life through the word of truth. And uh, as an example, uh, a newborn baby gives very clear evidence that they're alive and well. And in the same way, a new believer gives evidence of his new life in Christ. For example, he desires change. Because before he was a God-hater, alienated from God, hostile towards God, now he's a God-lover, reconciled to God, receptive to the truths of God. parable of the sower, which you'll find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Because that parable shows that genuine faith in Christ is not just a flash in the pan or a moment in time. It's great to have those moments of time where God reveals himself to us and we make a clear decision. I'm not not saying that's bad. That's a good thing. But salvation as presented in Scripture, and especially here in James, is not just a singletary uh, moment in time. Faith in Christ is something that endures and that it produces fruit. And in that parable that Dave mentioned, which is is probably the parable that's in James' thinking as he writes this text, 
Jesus describes a number of soils, the hard, the unresponsive heart as seed that falls by the roadside, and the birds quickly eat that up. It doesn't take root. Next, he describes seed that falls on the thin and the rocky soil, which represents a shallow and impulsive heart. And so that would be a person who receives the word with joy, but as soon as trials and persecutions hit, they, they move away or they fall away. And then the third place where the seed fell was on thorny ground, as Dave said, representing a divided worldly heart. And so the things of the world grow up as the thorns and choke out the word that was planted. And I think the common thing among those three types of soil is that none of them bear fruit. Some look promising for a while, but none produce fruit in their life. And I understand by that Jesus is saying that none of these types are truly saved. Only God knows for sure. But but Jesus is saying that we are to be the fourth type of soil, which, of course, is the receptive heart. Uh, it hears the word. It holds it fast. It bears fruit in season with perseverance. And so it, that, of course, is the soil that we want to be, the soil that receives the word. Um, so as I think about that, do, do people have receptive hearts because that's what God has given them? Or do they have to develop a receptive heart? It's a tough question. I, I think the answer to that is yes. Both. Um, because change, we see in Scripture, comes from a new life in Christ that's given to us by God in a sense that... that um, He implants that in us, and it's by His power that things change. But we also see in Scripture that changes are not automatic or effortless. And if they were, the New Testament wouldn't contain all of these encouragements and commands for us to spiritually grow. And so if you have come to faith in Christ, I want you to know this morning that it's crucial for you to cultivate a heart that's receptive to God's Word or His truth. Psalm uh, 78 is a lengthy psalm, and it's about Israel's unfaithfulness in the face of God's repeated faithfulness. But in verse 8 of the New American Standard Bible, the psalmist exhorts his generation not to be like their fathers, whom he describes as a stubborn and rebellious generation. It says, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. And so, The psalmist is saying, don't be like they are. Prepare your heart to be receptive to God's Word. In our text, James tells us here how to have or to develop this receptive heart. And while his words about being quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, that that obviously applies to our personal relationships, the main application here is in regard to our response to God's Word. And maybe you haven't thought about it in that way before. But what he's saying here is that if God has given us new life through His Word, then we must prepare our hearts to be receptive to His Word. It's an ongoing process. And so, what does a person with a receptive heart do? Or what does that look like? That's what we want to talk about this morning. Because here he gives us five marks of a heart that's receptive. First of all, the receptive heart we see opens the ears. Verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Be quick to listen. 
So he says, my dear brothers or brethren, in light of this new life through the word I just mentioned, here is something that you need to know. Take note, he says, or pay attention. This is important. Essential instructions coming. And the first is, be quick to listen. Jesus, in his teaching, would often say, at the end of whatever he was saying, he would say, he who has ears, let him hear. James says here, that's the first mark of a heart that's receptive to God's word. It's quick to hear or quick to listen. Jesus confronted the religious teachers in John eight forty seven. Uh, he said, anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Now, obviously the Jews heard the words of Jesus as he was speaking them. They, they weren't deaf. But they did not and could not, according to Jesus, understand them because they were not born of God. They lacked the ability to hear or to understand spiritual truth. And so to be quick to hear God's word implies here an eagerness to take in the word from every angle. Um, And as a believer, we desire to read the word. We desire to listen to biblical preaching of the word. We, We desire to even memorize the word and understand all of its teaching with the goal of obeying it. Um, And as you look through the Bible, the centerpiece of it is Psalm 119. And if you look at Psalm 119, it's it's a monster psalm, 176 verses in it, praising God's Word and expressing the psalmist's delight in it. And so I think... Verse 131, for example, he says, I open my mouth and I pant, longing for your commands. And so for you and I this morning, I think that's a, a, a check for us. You know, as we think about God's word, do we hunger for it? Do we desire it? Do we delight in it as the psalmist? Because that's the mark of a responsive heart, a heart that's ready to receive it. So evaluate that. Do you delight in God's Word? Do you long for it? Do you pour over it? And and related to that, what's your attitude as the Word goes out or as it's preached? Uh, There was a a Welsh preacher. His name was Roland Hill. And as an older man, he was visited by one of his longtime friends. And uh, his friend said to him, You know, it's been 65 years since I heard your first message. And you're not going to believe this, but I, I still remember mostly what it was about. And uh, Roland Hill was pretty shocked by that. And he said, well, what, what was it about? Because I sure don't remember. And his friend answered, you said that some people, when they went to hear a sermon, were very squeamish about the delivery of the preacher. And then you said, supposing you went to hear the will of one of your relatives read, and you were expecting to receive an inheritance from him. You would hardly think of criticizing the manner in which the lawyer read the will, but you would be all attention to hear whether anything was left to you, and if so, how much was left to you. And and that is the way to hear the gospel, you said. A receptive heart opens the ears to God's word of truth. Secondly, from this passage, the receptive heart controls the tongue. Verse 19 says, Be slow to speak, 
Again, in context, uh, James' command first applies to the need to be slow to speak as a teacher of God's Word. Um, Often out of pride, a new believer wants to spout out what they believe or show off publicly what they know about the Bible. But James, following the wisdom of Proverbs, says, slow down, hold your tongue. Proverbs 17.28 says, Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. And you've probably heard uh, someone point out long ago that this could be why that God gave us two ears uh, that we cannot close, but he gave us a mouth that we could. Because listening is so much more important. Uh, but, But James is not forbidding us from interacting with God's word or asking good questions to gain understanding. Rather, he's confronting a person who is hardly ever silent before the Lord. When God's Word confronts His ways, He's quick to argue with the Lord or find excuses why the Word doesn't apply to Him. But in the words of Eli, uh, or, or the words that Eli taught the young Samuel, all of us must learn to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So, if in prayer we're doing all the talking, that's not a good sign. Perhaps prayer should be largely about us just listening. A receptive heart, it controls the tongue. We also see, thirdly, the receptive heart controls the emotions. Verse 19 says, slow to anger. So how do you respond when the Bible steps on your toes or or maybe when you hear it or read it, and it says something that you may not want to hear because it's confronting your life. Do you get angry or defensive? Kent Hughes says, an angry spirit is never a listening, teachable spirit. Interesting that um, the only time that John Calvin mentions his own conversion, he says... God, by a sudden conversion, subdued and brought my mind to a teachable frame. So it's a teachable frame. It's a teachable heart uh, that stopped fighting angrily against God, but rather submitting to God and listening. James gives us the reason that we should be slow to anger. Verse 20, he says, For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And so, if we want to grow in righteousness uh, and stop fighting God's Word, uh, but to submit to it, we need a teachable heart, a receptive heart. Before leaving uh, the book of James this morning, I want to apply it also to our personal relationships. Um, Personally, I've wrestled with anger at times in my own life, and, and it's a process that we're all in, knowing when our anger is appropriate and when it is not. And I've seen that most often it's not. Most often. We all get angry. We all get upset. It's not about experiencing that emotion. We all experience that. But what do we do with it? How do we react? Um, and, And sometimes we think that We have a righteous anger and we should say what we need to say and then later realize that probably wasn't a righteous anger. And so you've probably seen uh, the devastation or the results of unbridled anger that's not under 
control or expressed appropriately to others. It can rip apart families. It can do damage in churches. I've heard it said that it's kind of like throwing a grenade in your living room if you want to throw your anger out there while your family is sitting there. That's the kind of damage it can do. Uh, Jesus labeled anger as a sin behind murder in Matthew 5. And we also know that before Cain committed the first murder in history, God confronted him with a question. Do you you remember that question? Genesis 4-6, he says, Why are you angry? And I don't think that's a bad question to ask ourselves when we get angry, because we will get angry. You know, we will get upset. But, but, but to ask ourselves, why am I angry? Um, and, and in Ephesians 4, Paul warns that unchecked anger can give the devil a foothold in our lives. And yet, sometimes we see it tolerated in homes. Sometimes we see it tolerated in churches. We can try to excuse it as hereditary or, again, try to say that it's righteous anger. But most of the time, most of the time, it's not righteous. Most of the time, it comes from our own selfishness, our own pride. You know, I I want to be hurt. I want to get my way, and I'm not getting my way. And so I'm going to threaten everyone until I get my way. But we need to listen to what James says. Uh, Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And Paul in Galatians 5.20 clearly labels uh, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, etc. as acts of our sinful nature. And then he warns us in Galatians 5.21 that those who live like that will not inherit the kingdom of God. Which is a radical warning. So let's take that to heart. And, And just to... To drive that home in terms of anger, um, if you were a person who couldn't make it through the week without taking a drink, then you would need to face reality that you had an addiction, that you were an alcoholic. And, but in the same way, if you can't make it through the week without yelling, without name-calling or, or making threats or giving your mate the silent treatment, you have to recognize you're an angry person. You're probably addicted to anger. And so that's the first step is just facing that and then taking drastic steps to root that out in your life. We begin by confronting it on the thought level. If we're thinking angry thoughts towards our mate or our children or whoever, we recognize um, that this is not something that we want to continue. And so we, we cut it off at at the thought level, we bring it to God, we meditate on God's Word, we, we put on a heart of compassion. If you remember our series in Colossians, we recognize the old, we take it off, we go to God, and we ask the Spirit to put His clothes on us, a heart of compassion and kindness and patience and all the things that we need that are fruits of the Spirit. So the receptive heart, it opens the ears, it controls the tongue, it controls the emotions, especially anger. And then fourthly, the receptive heart clears the crud of sin. Now I was trying to think of a fancy way to say this. I was thinking, i got to think of a better word than crud. But then I finally just said, no, that's what it is. It's crud. There's all kinds of crud 
that can clog us up. There's all kinds of things in our lives that can keep us from both receiving the word and from getting it out of us. There's all kinds of things. And so I'm just going to call it the crud of sin. Verse 21 calls it moral filth and evil. But there are all kinds of things that can, bro- that can block the word from living in us or growing in us. And so have we allowed those things to block the life of Christ from either flowing into us or out of us? I think we have. And I think we do. And we don't realize that in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, we can displease uh, God. But as we begin to read God's Word, it begins to convict us of areas that we, even, we didn't know were even sin. And when that happens, the receptive heart begins to bring that to, to God and clean out the crud of sin. And so if we, if we don't do that, if we don't hold those thoughts captive, if we don't bring those things to God... Um, then they remain in us, whether we're aware of it or not. And that crud blocks the life of Christ from coming out of us or growing in us. Finally, the receptive heart welcomes the word, verse 21. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Again, we have this picture of the parable of the sower, and he's scattering the seed of the word. And so ask yourself this morning, will my heart be good soil that receives the seed and bears fruit? Or will it be one of the other kinds of soils that are unproductive? Once the seed falls into the good soil, as Dave mentioned this morning, it still needs to be nurtured in order to bear fruit. The seed has to be watered and the weeds must be pulled and it must be protected from the birds or you know, so that it's not trampled. And so there's ongoing process, there's ongoing cultivation and work. And so in closing this morning, having a receptive heart for God's word can save you. When James says that the word planted in you can save you, he's viewing salvation in a biblical way, not as a singletary moment in time. It's good to have that moment. It's good to have that moment where you recognize God when you make a decision to follow him. Absolutely have those moments. But as the Bible talks about salvation... It's an ongoing process that continues in us and grows and bears fruit. But we need to submit to that with humility. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And so in closing this morning, just to ask you, have you, have you done a heart check lately? Is your heart apathetic to God's word Because James says, be quick to listen. If you're prone to spout off arrogantly with how much you know, James says, be slow to speak. If you're fighting some aspect of God's word that you don't like, James says, be slow to anger. If you're tolerating the crud of sin, James says, put aside all filthiness. And if you're resisting God's commands that are designed to rescue you from sin, James says, Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you.